Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. And if you're watching with us online, thank you for being a part of this community. And to those, we are one church, many locations, so I always have to give a shout out and a greeting. Uh, hello to San Jose. I got to be with some of you guys uh, yesterday, and that was super fun. To Mountain View, to Saratoga, to San Mateo, and to you right here at Menlo Park. It is good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible on your phone or in front of you or like a real thing, um, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. We'll have the verses on the screen, but I think it's going to be helpful to have something physical in front of you as we dive into this book, because as we mentioned last week, we're going to be in a series in the book of Colossians. It's a tiny little book, but we're going to spend quite a bit of time in it. If you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen, not because it's me, uh, but because it will set you up for where we're heading. And one of the things that we talked about is that as a community together, we want to lean into the formation practice of Bible study. We believe that that's a practice that can help us be formed into the image of Christ. And so we have provided a lot of resources for Bible study on our website at menlo.church slash Colossians. And I would encourage you to go there. And uh, we also have some of those printed out at Info Central for you. So you can head that way as well. But uh, we're going to dive into the book of Colossians. Let me pray and we'll do just that. Father, we are thankful that you are present with us, that where we go, you go. Where we are, you are. And we need that this morning. We need your presence. We need to hear your voice. We need to know you and experience what it is to be known by you. And so I pray that as we open your word, that we would hear your voice through it. That would, we would see you and your son Jesus. And I pray it in his name. Amen. Well, before I read the verse, I do have to mention this. Um, as we look at the passage that we're going to be in, we need to be aware of order. We need to be aware of what comes first. Because if we get the order wrong, we get Christianity wrong. It's important. If we get the order wrong, we get Christianity wrong. So when it comes to Christianity, do not put the cart before the horse, right? Don't put the cart before the horse. Have that sticking in your mind as you read the scripture. So this is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I have to pause there because this little book, this letter was written by Paul, and it's important to know a little bit about Paul, and he's writing to this young church in Colossae. They had just begun to follow Jesus. Paul 
had been a religious Jew who had opposed the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah, that Jesus would be the Christ, that Jesus would be the one that the Jews were waiting for to come and restore and redeem all things. Paul had opposed that, and in his opposition, it had led him to persecute Christians, to be a part of imprisoning and even killing Christians. And so it's important to know the order in Paul's life. And you can see this in Acts chapter 9, but we'll, I'll just tell you about it. The order in Paul's life is that Paul was not looking for Jesus when Jesus came after him. When he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Paul was actually on his way to persecute Christians when Jesus came to him. So you could say of Paul, when he found Jesus, it was because Jesus had found him. Finding Jesus was being found by Jesus. And everything changed for Paul. So Paul is thrilled to be writing to this new, this young church that lived in a city, Colossae, that was filled with spirituality, that was filled with all kinds of gods to choose from to worship. But there was no focus in this little city on Jesus except for this little church. And Paul is thrilled to write to them. And he says this in verse three. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in the heavens and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Now there is so much we could unpack from just these few verses, but here's where I wanna focus. These three key words, faith, gospel, and grace. Paul says of them, he says that they have faith, and he names the object of their faith. Their faith is in Christ Jesus. And the word Christ simply means the anointed one, the king the one that they were waiting for, the one they believed who would come and be their savior, who would come and restore and redeem all things and make it right. So their faith isn't just in any God, and again, this was a polytheistic uh, place and world. Uh, they didn't just have any form of spirituality, and you've probably heard this said. I've heard people say this. I've probably said it at some point in my journey. You know, it's just good to have some kind of God, right? Well, it's, it's just good to have some kind of spirituality. But this little, this little church in Colossae, Paul is encouraging them because they don't just have faith in anything. 
they have faith in someone. They have faith in Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the king. And then he mentions this gospel, this gospel message. And very simply, that the word gospel means life-altering good news. It was not a religious word initially. It was a secular word. But Christians globbed onto it, and they uh, said that this is our gospel. Our gospel message is the life-altering good news that Jesus, the King, has come. He has come to establish his kingdom. And then the word grace. This is a deep word. It's where we're gonna spend most of our time today. Simply, it is the unmerited favor of King Jesus in the Christian context. It is the unmerited favor of King Jesus. It is the gift of relationship with God made possible by Jesus. Frederick Buechner says it this way. He says, grace is something you can never get, but, only, but can only be given. Grace is something you can never get, but can only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream, or earn good looks, or bring about your own birth. Grace preceded the faith of the Colossians. The order matters. And this order is important that grace precedes faith, or will be tempted as I go on in this passage uh, I'm going to step into verse 9 where Paul begins to record his prayer. And it would be tempting to understand this prayer as something that I need to do or something I need to become to get grace. But grace can only be given, or it is not grace. So verse nine, Paul says, for this reason, because of their faith in Christ Jesus, because of what has happened to them, because the grace that has come to him, he says, for this reason, since the day you heard, we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Don't put the cart before the horse. Verse 10. 
don't put the cart before the horse. What comes first is what God has done, the grace, and what follows is what is possible to do and become because of what God has done. You with me? What God has done first is followed by what is possible to do and become because of what he has done. Notice in this passage the initiative of God. Verse nine and 10, the spirit of God gives all wisdom and understanding so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way and bear fruit. Verse 11, God's might or his power strengthens them so that they may have endurance and patience. Verse 12, God the Father has qualified you. Not he will qualify you if you do these things. He has qualified you to share in his inheritance all that is good, all that is in his kingdom. Verse 13, we are qualified because God has rescued us and brought us into his kingdom. You know, it's interesting as I was preparing and thinking about this, it's interesting that the Bible never says become a Christian. This is a study you guys can do on your own because you're doing Bible study. Um, <laughs> but the Bible doesn't say, hey, you, become a Christian. The Bible actually uses much more disruptive and vivid language. When Jesus talks about becoming Christians, and it's, it's not a bad thing to say that. I say that. I became a Christian when I was in high school, right? And that's true. I, nobody's born a Christian. You become a Christian. It is something that happens to you. It's not wrong to say it, but it's interesting that when Jesus talks about this, he most often tells stories, and the words that he uses and others use in the Scripture are disruptive words like lost, received, saved, born again, surrendered, rescued, brought. And these words may sound great for people who need them, but they feel a little bit offensive to me. Because you see, I wanna be the one who finds. I don't wanna be the one who's lost and needs finding. I wanna be the one who gives. I don't wanna be the one who has to receive. I wanna be the one who saves that person from their despair, their predicament, not the one who needs to be saved. I wanna be the one who fixes. Anyone here like to fix? <laughs> Raise your hand. I want to be the one who fixes, not the one who needs fixing. I want to be the one who helps fund the rescue mission, right? I'll give my dollars. What's your Venmo? <laughs> I don't want to be the one who needs your funding 
of my rescue mission. But this is what grace has done. And Colossians 1.13 gives us the right order. God has rescued us from, to, so that. From, to, so that. From the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the sun, so that we might become like the sun and live with the sun and live in the sun. To be in relationship with God through Christ is a surrendering to rescue. When the lifeguard gets to you when you're drowning, stop kicking, right? We all learn that. When the lifeguard gets to you when you're drowning, stop kicking. A kingdom reflects the one who rules it. It is a glorious thing to be rescued. It is a necessary thing, it is a needful thing to be rescued from the dominion of darkness. Scholar Scott McKnight says it this way. He says, the dominion of darkness is the deep, cosmic, demonic, personal realities capturing the capturing structures, society, and people systemically to thwart the good plan of God. That's deep, so I'm going to read it again. (laughs) The dominion of darkness is the deep, cosmic, demonic, personal realities capturing structures, society, and people systemically to thwart the good plan of God. So basically, anything that thwarts the good plan of God thrives in the dominion of darkness. Anything that thwarts the good plan of God thrives in the dominion of darkness. Self-sufficiency, judgment, self-righteousness, racism, Passivity, fear, anger, injustice, malice, slander, greed, snobbery. Now I'm getting personal. (laughs) Pride. Anything that thwarts the good plan of God and the beautiful grace of our gospel message, our good news, is that we have been rescued from the control of the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and we have been brought into the kingdom of the Son God loves. The kingdom of the Son is ruled by the Son, and that is good news for us. Because the rule and the reign of Jesus is marked by the plans of God. The rule and the reign of Jesus is marked by the plans of God. Goodness, redemption, forgiveness, love, holiness, compassion, kindness, 
justice, humility, gentleness, patience, unity, peace, so that we will become like our king. We will become like the son and we'll be able to live lives worthy of the son, pleasing him in every way. Grace means that God receives us as we are, but he doesn't leave us there, right? He begins the slow, growing journey of transformation. He brings us into the kingdom and we still have our baggage. (laughs) And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, how to maybe get rid of some of that baggage. But we still have the baggage and he's ready to transform us. You see, Grace doesn't mean there's no doing. It just means that the doing is the cart that follows the grace. The doing is the cart that follows the grace. But some of you are still not sure. Some of you are disrupted by grace. You want to get to the doing really, really fast, really, really quick. You got a lot of whatabouts. We'll talk about the doing. Go on this slow journey through Colossians with us. But we have to start with the grace, right? Some of you are still not sure. You're wondering, how do I know if I would be worthy of being rescued? Cheryl, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I am at home. You don't know what just happened in the drive to church, right? The arguments, the things that all happen for some reason on drives to church. How do you know if you're worthy of being rescued? Here's the good news. You're not. You're not. I'm not. He qualifies you, he qualifies me by rescuing me, by rescuing you. Grace is not grace if you have to get it. It's given. It's what God does. He gives. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He gave. Earlier in the book of John, he says this, to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. It is something that we receive. So how do you know if you've been rescued? Maybe you're asking that. I don't know. How do I know if I've been rescued? Is it a magic prayer I have to pray? Is it something I have to say? Do I have to get it right? And certainly, you might pray, you might 
call out. Your rescue prayer might be as simple as, oh God, rescue me. It might be as simple as thank you for rescuing me. Or it just may be a surrender that didn't really come with a spoken prayer, but something from deep within. And I think that you'll know if you've been rescued by a few things. One, you'll increasingly like it. You'll increasingly like it. You'll like having been rescued. Two, you'll increasingly love who rules it. You'll love Jesus who rules the kingdom that you have been brought into. And then the third thing is, I think one of the things that happens, maybe a little slower for some of us, but you'll increasingly begin to like the other rescued people. Because you found yourself to be somebody who also needed to be rescued, right? Because this kingdom that Jesus brings us into is messy. Because like I mentioned, we still have our baggage. He didn't say, hey, I'll bring you across the moat. I'll bring you into the kingdom, but you got to leave your baggage back here. No, he just brought you in with all that you are, that all that you have. And he's going to slowly begin a work of transformation and change. And this is the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be a church where rescued people celebrate rescued people. I worked for a senior pastor a number of years ago who didn't really want to be a senior pastor. Um, He had been the part-time youth pastor at this church many years before I worked there. But um, he had been the part-time youth pastor. He was starting a business. And some things went down with the senior pastor who was in the senior pastor role. And the church wanted him to take that over. They wanted him to, to take the role of the lead pastor. And he was like, no, I don't want that. They said, well, maybe you should go talk to a counselor or a therapist or something. So he he met with this therapist, and uh, the guy said, you know, why don't you want to become the lead pastor? That seems like a a great thing. And he said, I don't like church people. (laughs) I don't want to have anything to do with that. And... Uh, He said, you don't like any of them? And he said, well, I like the students I'm working with. (laughs) Because students are awesome because they're raw and real. He said, I like, he goes, well, there's no one in this church that you like? And he said, well, you know, there's actually a group of guys who go to AA. I like them. (laughs) They're, They're real. They're honest. I like those guys. So the therapist guy said, Uh, have you ever been to an AA meeting? And he said, no. So anyway, he goes to the AA meeting, true story. And he's there, and they're going around the circle as they do in AA. And, you know, the person's high and Bob, and they high Bob. um, And he says, you know, uh, I've been sober 30 days. And they applaud, and he gets a chip. And, you know, and then it goes to the next person. I'm Sheila. Um, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I've been sober 30 days. 
she gets a chip, they applaud, and it's going around, and, and the way he tells the stories, it got to this, this one woman, and she says, hi, I'm Sheila, or whatever her name was, and um, I was supposed to get my 30-day chip, but I fell off the wagon, and I've been sober for eight hours. And he's thinking, oh my gosh, what are they gonna do? Because he's grown up in the church, he was a pastor's kid, he's like, oh man, what's gonna happen here? Are they gonna give her a lecture? Are they gonna tell her what she needs to do, what she did wrong, all the things? He said I was getting kind of sweaty. <laughs> and then, because that's the sound of grace to applaud, to celebrate, to be a place where somebody can come and say, I've been sober eight hours. We wanna be that kind of place. But it begins, I believe, with first understanding the applause of God for you. Do you believe that God wasn't waiting for you to unload your baggage before he could applaud you. Applaud for just a minute. Do it at all our campuses. If you're in San Jose, if you're, just hear that sound, right? And now what I wanna just invite you to is a moment of just silence. Maybe put your palms up if you feel comfortable with that. As a gesture of receiving God's rescue, of receiving his applause, that he has brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves.